0: Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this audio sermon. You can find a full archive of sermons on our website, holycommunion.net. This sermon was preached by me, the Rev. Mike Angel, Rector of Holy Communion, on August 9th, 2020, the 10th Sunday after Pentecost. Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the courage to look for your spirit in the scripture. Amen. Last week, I talked about the longevity of the Bible. These stories have been passed down for thousands of years. The stories have endured because they still have something to teach us. This morning, I want to talk about the Bible's relevance These stories can speak to us today, can still bring wisdom, even in very different times. This morning, I want to ask one particular question. Where do you find yourself in the story? I find great hope for myself in Jesus' interaction with Peter today. Peter is the leader on whom, Jesus says, our whole movement rests. He is the rock. And yet the Gospels describe him in such a difficult and sometimes comical light. I identify with Peter because I know what it is to doubt. I know what it is to feel like I'm sinking. I know what it is to feel like I need Jesus to drag me back into the boat. I'm grateful for Peter because if that guy can make it, Anyone can. But this morning, I want to talk about Joseph. You see, in seminary, this story of Joseph was broken open for me in a way that, frankly, changed my relationship with the Bible. In Joseph, I learned to find myself in the story in a new way. I grew up in a church that was not all that different from Holy Communion. I grew up surrounded by images of the saints, of the disciples of Jesus, all depicted as white folks. I grew up in a relatively feminist congregation. Some of the first ordained women in the Diocese of Colorado were in my parish, and I would hear stories of the women saints, mostly white women, many of them married to the guys. I grew up a queer kid I use that term in the modern and reclaimed sense. I'm a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Today, I'm happily married to my husband, but who I loved, who I was attracted to made me different, made me not the norm, not like the examples that were all around me. And so when I was growing up, heck, I remember distinctly the night Ellen DeGeneres' character came out on her TV show. I closed the door of the room to watch. It was the first time that I knew that a main character on a television show came out as gay, and the show was canceled just a few episodes later. Representation matters, and there wasn't a great deal of positive LGBTQ plus representation where I grew up and certainly not in church. Fast forward to seminary. I was taking a class on Midrash, rabbinical commentary on the Hebrew scriptures. I was reading stories and explanations written by rabbis, some of the work close to 2,000 years old. And I read a rabbi describing Joseph as, quote, flouncing around the town square. I read another rabbi similarly ancient, who talked about Joseph's feminine features. There was more than a hint of the joke in the rabbi's language. The rabbis used for Joseph uh, these interesting descriptions and you got this sense that something around gender and sexuality was at play, even in 2,000-year-old commentary. Then I read a more modern scholar talking about the story we have this morning, talking about Joseph's robe, what Andrew Lloyd Webber called famously the technicolor dream coat, a 1970s reference if I've ever heard one. It turned out that the Hebrew word used to describe this coat was really hard to translate. It only appeared in scripture in one other place to describe a luxurious robe given by King David to his daughter. And one commentator, it's a modern commentator, but one commentator thus decided to translate this as princess dress. Princess dress. If you read it that way, this story takes on a whole new meaning. Jacob gave Joseph a princess dress reading these ancient rabbis and modern commentators together, something broke open for me in the character of Joseph. Suddenly, I wondered, what if Joseph grew up feeling different? What if Joseph wasn't a man's man? If Joseph was alive today, might Joseph identify as gay or bi or trans or queer? Now, Uh, Let me say, it's a tricky project to try and pry open a 3,000-year-old closet. We do not think about gender and sexuality the way the ancient people of Israel did. The word homosexuality doesn't actually appear in the Bible. It doesn't. If an English translation of the Bible uses homosexuality, they're interpreting a Greek or a Hebrew word, and there's usually a great deal more going on in the original language. If it's true for orientation even more so for gender identity. Our labels for gender and sexuality have shifted. So I can't tell you positively, definitely, that Joseph was gay. I can't tell you that Joseph was trans. I can tell you that for thousands of years, there are folks who have wondered, wondered about this character. And I can tell you that suddenly in seminary, I found a character whose experience read this way, spoke to my experience. I found myself in the story. Think about it. What if Joseph's brothers weren't just jealous? What if they were embarrassed by the 17-year-old boy running around in a princess dress? It might better explain the violence they contemplate and commit. Our labels are new, but gender and sexual diversity are ancient. Homophobia and transphobia are as old as the Bible. Finding myself, finding the LGBTQ community in this story, this way, it also lets me locate others. I know a significant number of folks who have chosen Holy Communion, this Episcopal Church, not because they themselves were LGBTQ. but because they were looking for a church, for a religious tradition that allowed them to embrace people they love, that allowed them room to respond to their LGBTQ plus family members and friends with grace and to trust that that grace comes from God. There's a place for you in this story too. Let's turn to Jacob. What if young Joseph asked Jacob for a princess dress? And what if Jacob said yes? What if Jacob responded with affirming and lavish love? Again, it would explain the brothers being so scandalized. But more than that, we get the sense that Joseph knows love deep down. Joseph has been loved deeply. Joseph has been loved extravagantly. I wonder if that love, if that security and identity is how Joseph goes on to survive what happens and to thrive even after the brother's betrayal. Joseph survives the brother's betrayal and goes on to have an incredibly successful career. Joseph is confident, at times shockingly confident. And I wonder how much that confidence comes from the love Joseph received from Jacob those of you who are the parents of LGBTQ children, those of you who are family members or dear friends of queer folk, hear this. You can choose to love your family members, your friends, your queer neighbors extravagantly. You can love them into a fuller sense of themselves. It might be just the biblical thing to do, to respond to a child coming out with extravagant love. And that love might just be your salvation. Let me say that again. That love might be your salvation. You see at the end of this story, the Ishmaelite caravan carries Joseph off. It's a tragedy. The brothers go to tell Jacob that Joseph is dead. They carry that bloody robe, that bloody dress they've stripped from their sibling. But even in the betrayal, there's a clue that something bigger is afoot for God. Notice what the Ishmaelites are carrying and from where they're carrying it. Our translation uses the word resin. There's an older word. This caravan carrying Joseph is also carrying balm from Gilead to make the wounded whole. Even the worst tragedies, even the hardest stories to read, they can bring healing, can bring wholeness. In the end, Joseph saves the whole family. Joseph salvages God's plan for God's people. You see, Joseph rises to the position of Pharaoh's steward. And when famine strikes, Joseph ensures that the people of Israel have a place to go. The children of Abraham, the children of Isaac, the children of Israel survive because of Joseph. Where do you find yourself in the story? For me, Joseph was where I first found an invitation to maybe see someone who loved like I did, who knew what it was to be teased like I was teased. Joseph was one of the characters in which I found myself in God's story. And for me, it mattered. The late theologian James Cone invited black folks to similarly read themselves into the stories of the Bible, not in the margins, mind you, but right in the center. God does the work of salvation, Cohn noticed, through those that the wider society has counted out. I mean, if a bunch of European-descended Americans can make stained-glass windows like Holy Communions, portraying Jesus as if he was white, surely there is room for others to locate themselves in the stories of Scripture as well. Joseph's story was important for me because when you find yourself in Scripture— Suddenly, these aren't just stories told thousands of years ago. When you can find yourself in the Bible, you begin to wonder what more God has in store for you in this life. You dare to wonder what extravagant love might accomplish even today. Where do you find yourself in the story? Amen.